Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. Between us. Welcome in, Gator fans, to the new Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Abelverde and Graham Hall. Presented by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Abelverde, joined to my right by Graham Hall. And we have a lot to discuss on this day's episode. We're going to recap the early signing period as the Gators inked 21 signees to the 2021 class. We'll also preview Saturday's SEC championship game between Ford and Alabama. And to do that, first we'll be joined by Brett Hudson from the Tuscaloosa News to get some perspective on the tide. And the final segment will be joined by Corey Bender from GatorsTerritory.com to discuss these early signees that the Gators got on board. And uh, it was a pretty successful Wednesday, Graham, despite not a lot of news per se, but I think that's how the staff likes it. Yeah, you wanted it to be uneventful. We had talked about this last week. Florida had addressed all of their needs just about in the week leading up to that LSU game. Throughout Dan Mullen's tenure, they had gotten ahead of this 2021 class. They identified a lot of targets within even his first month on the job that we're going to talk about here a little bit later. And they held them to the very end. That's what you want. You don't want to be out there scrambling at the very end, panicking, having to flip guys, relying on guys to take interest in you in the last second. No, Florida had a chance to kind of sit back. I don't even know if they use a fax machine still, but let the letters come in. And they're still sitting here, top 10 class. A little bit of work to be done, but no surprises. And the only surprises we would have got would have been bad ones for Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I you know, wrote about. They had a drama-free signing day, but that's because they kept Alabama and Auburn from flipping some of their top commits. And had that happened, everybody would have been freaking out Wednesday and saying, what the heck's going on? And this staff blew it. And this 2021 class is a wreck. And instead, it was an easy, breezy day. And I think that moving forward, that's probably how a lot of those days are going to go for Mullen and this staff. And Obviously, the last game wasn't easy breezy. The Gators suffered a 37-34 to loss against LSU, and they've had to rebound in practice this week, put it behind them to get ready for the top-ranked Tide. And as we focus on that game, Graham, obviously a lot to look at with this matchup and two teams that rank near the top of the SEC in several categories. There's a Heisman race probably to be decided and also an SEC crown, but the Gators are reeling still coming off that loss to LSU. Yeah, they are. You know, you have to kind of worry about where this team is at mentally because you went from the possibility of going into this game against Alabama 
vying for the college football playoff, let alone the SEC championship. And yeah, you can win the latter here, but it may not absolutely guarantee you a shot in the college football playoff, even though that number seven ranking that did come out there in the college football playoff rankings has to be good news for Florida fans that that team was not punished, only fell one spot despite losing to a team that had three wins coming into Saturday. So if you're the Gators, it could have been even worse. But like you said, Zach, they have to figure out where this team is at mentally. Marco Wilson, as we talked about, they're going to need him in that game. This secondary is going to be facing the best quarterback that they faced all year long in Mac Jones, the most accurate quarterback in the SEC, 76% completion percentage, and Najee Harris in the backfield, who leads Division One running backs, not just running backs, everyone in total touchdowns with 22 touchdowns coming into the day. This is a prolific offense, and Florida's defense is coming off probably their most disheartening performance of the entire year, letting a freshman quarterback, Max Johnson, do that to them. So it's going to be something we're going to have to see where Florida is at. I could absolutely see it uh, not going in Florida's favor in any way because they really don't have as much to play for right now, Zach. Yeah, and you mentioned you know these offenses. You look at where they rank, I mean, it, it's it's pretty impressive to see what this matchup is going to give us on Saturday. If obviously both teams can live up to what they've been doing this season, and obviously you look at Alabama, they rank number one in the SEC in several categories offensively, including total offense, scoring offense, yards per play, and passing efficiency. Their passing offense is ranked number three in the SEC. Florida's is ranked not just number one in the SEC, number one nationally. And then the Gators rank second in the SEC behind Bama in all three of those first uh, categories that I mentioned, total offense, scoring offense, and yards per play. So there's going to be a lot of offensive fireworks potentially on Saturday. We saw a shootout between Ford and Ole Miss. We saw a shootout between Ole Miss and Alabama. I think if you're Florida fans, you're probably hoping and maybe need it to be a shootout. I don't know if the Gators are going to be able to stop or slow down this tight offense. Uh, but can the Gators keep up with what Alabama's going to do on that side of the ball? Yeah, we've seen Florida this season put up points on very talented defenses. You go back to that Georgia game, which I would say prior to this last month, which I think everyone can kind of agree has been pretty shaky for Florida. Going back to that Georgia game, they put up 44 points on a very talented Georgia defense that had just as many blue chip prospects as this Alabama defense is yep. going to have on Saturday. So you absolutely have a sample size, a really recent one, of how this could be a shootout for Florida and they could still put up numbers. Especially if they have a first half like they did against UGA where they scored 35 in two quarters. Absolutely. And we've seen, and, and then that second half, that's not even to mention that Kyle Pitts, their best weapon on offense, out of the game there. So we have not seen, I think, Florida's offense have a full, complete performance with all of their weapons against a talented defense. But I, I look around and look at what Florida has done in the last month. It really just makes me question whether they're going to be able to get back to that level of play after speaking about having a complete game for the last month and yet failing to do it. Yeah, and then obviously not a complete game on the defensive side of the ball. As we look at that matchup, and we'll talk to Brett Hudson from the Tuscaloosa News about what the Gators can do here, but the one thing I think for Florida fans to maybe hold on to hope with is that this is going to be the healthiest that the Gators have been probably all season, especially if they get both Sean Davis and Jeremiah Moon back. If that happens, that'll be only the second time this season, Graham, that they've had every defensive starter available. And the only other time was Georgia. So 
if that's one thing that you're trying to take solace in going into this matchup as a Florida fan, it's probably that uh, you know we'll hear from Brett Hudson to get to get his thoughts on that and what he thinks Todd Grantham is going to try to do defensively to attack Alabama because he covered him at Mississippi State. But I'm fascinated to watch that. I'm sure you are as well, Graham. It absolutely begs the question for everyone out there saying, "Oh, Ohio State should be in the college football playoff after playing just six games." You can look around what happened to Florida's defense in the latter half of the season. Sean Davis going down with injuries. Uh, you had Trent Whittemore get injured as well. Jeremiah Moon, a valuable buck. We'll have to see if they're back there for Florida as well. And Tyron Hopper, several Gators have yeah. been unavailable for Florida in recent weeks. That We'll have to see if they get them back as well. But that's why you play the season, because you have to make sure that you have depth behind those guys, because you never know when you're going to be playing the number one team in the country, and you're relying on that second string, linebacker, safety, whatever it is. And that's the one thing also that they can look at as a silver lining is when they get to this game, by having all those guys out and guys having to change around uh, different positions, it has created some depth, and Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham have talked about that a lot. But we're going to take a break and talk to Brett Hudson next to get some perspective on this top-ranked Crimson Tide team. We'll be right back after this break. Bring game day tailgates home this season after a stop at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Stock up your huddle with beer, hard seltzers, your favorite wine, or something sparkling. ABC is Florida family-owned and has been getting Gator fans ready for kickoff since 1936. Head inside one of their 125 stores around the state or try their curbside service by ordering online at abcfws.com. ABC Access loyalty members can save $10 on wine, 10% on beer and hard seltzers, and earn points toward $5 coupons. ABC, always be celebrating. Life today is kind of a lot. It forces us to always be on. But every now and then, it's important to just stop, crack open a mountain cold Coors Light, and chill. So when you choose to turn off, choose the one beer that's made to chill. Coors Light. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process. Cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. The mountains on Coors Light's cold activated bottles and cans turn blue when chilled to perfection. This weekend is a conference title games for just about every conference. Non-stop great college football all day and night. It's the perfect time to make sure your refrigerator is stocked with the mountain cold refreshment of Coors Light. The beer that's made to chill. If life's pace is wearing you down, make sure you take a moment, pause, and refresh yourself with a cold Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered straight to your door. Go to get.coorslight.com and find local delivery options. Coors Light. Made to chill. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a Gator fan who believes that people should be treated better, join ViStar. Our members have enjoyed friendly, personal service since 1952. A smile and personal greeting when entering a branch. An online or phone chat for those quick questions. And a call center that's open every day. At ViStar, we never forget that it's your money. Proud partner of the Florida Gators. All loans subject to approval. Insured by NCUA. 
We're now joined by Brett Hudson from the Tuscaloosa News to preview Saturday's SEC championship game between number one Alabama and number seven or number 11 Florida, depending on uh, what poll you want to pay attention to. Brett, thanks for joining us. How's it going, man? I'm doing good, guys. How are y'all? We're doing great, man. Just looking forward to Saturday, looking forward to Atlanta. Um, just to start off, man, what, what are your thoughts about this matchup and, and these two teams um, getting paired in Atlanta? Well, if y'all are looking forward to the game, it's the first time someone's been looking forward to playing Alabama in, uh, in months. So you got that going for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun matchup because, especially for Alabama on the defensive side, because they, they got skewered to start the season. Their Texas A&M game in week two wasn't very good. And then uh, I think the, the way Ole Miss put up yards and points on Alabama kind of garnered national attention because Ole Miss was going stride for stride with them, and there's a little bit of upset alert there in the, in the third quarter with, with that one when, when Lane Kiffin's Rebels put up uh, a program or, or a Nick Saban-era record of yards on, on Alabama in that game. And Burr hasn't really been tested defensively since then. You look at the offenses they faced since then, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Auburn, LSU, and Arkansas. It was far from a murderer's row in terms of offensive excellence or lack thereof um, on that list of teams. And then, obviously, Florida brings one of the, the better passing attacks in, in the country into the SEC championship game. Uh, so there, there's a lot of aspects about Alabama's defense that, while it has statistically improved over those final eight weeks of, of the season, they've done some things cut from a qualitative sense that suggest that the team is, is actually defending better. The open field tackling and the pass rush are, are two things that would suggest that. And there are things that, uh, at least I think will carry over as the competition gets better in the SEC championship game and then if they win it, the college football playoff beyond that. Uh, but but I think that's the part of the, the matchup that, that most interests me, if you're looking at it from Alabama's perspective, which is this is kind of a, the first true test of, of Alabama's defense since it was getting torched in, in the first three weeks of the season, both in terms of elite talent, and really, really good scheme. Uh, this is probably the first real test the Bama's defense has gotten since Ole Miss. And again, they, they've shown signs of improvement. They've shown signs of, of being better, but are they good enough to defend at a national championship level as, as Alabama has to be about three weeks away from attaining that? I think the, the Florida game will be a, a pretty important first step to answering that question because the last two months have done little to nothing to answering it just based on the competition. Yeah, we've talked so often about Florida's defense over here and Kyle Trask as well, but what do Florida fans have to expect out of Mac Jones, who we've heard from Nick Saban and Dan Mullen this week? Pretty similar journeys, having to wait their turn to get this opportunity. What can Florida's defense expect out of Mac Jones on Saturday? Steady accuracy. Um, I think that's the thing about Mac that has been most impressive and definitely his calling card uh, throughout the entire season. And steady accuracy in all of the throws. He's he's going to nail his underneath and and dump-off routes, but he's so accurate with with the deep ball. I think the best – the one throw I can give to uh, kind of personify or embody his deep ball accuracy was John Mechie caught a touchdown pass 
I think it was in the Iron Bowl, and it was kind of an over-the-shoulder drive near the goal line. And Messi said he actually lost the ball in the in the lights, in the stadium lights. He just had his hands out like in a bucket catch, and the ball just fell into his hands. He, he did not see the ball. The ball just fell into his hands because Mac placed it perfectly <laughs> down to like an inch level of, of accuracy. I, I think that's the kind of the one throw that – I can use to describe max level of accuracy with the deep ball, and he's just as accurate and in the underneath uh, uh, stuff as well. So steady accuracy is what you're going to get from from Mac, and also a smart decision maker. You know, I would call him a, a game manager, but apparently that's a, a no-no word in, in football these days. Um, <laughs> but that's what that's what Max Jones does really well. He's obviously extremely talented with with his right arm, his accuracy and, and strength with the football shows that, but he makes the right decision. Arkansas in the last game kind of forced him to do that. They sagged eight into a pretty soft zone. They, they more or less made up their minds that we were not going to get beat by 30-yard bombs by Devontae Smith. They were going to have to beat Arkansas some other way, and, and Matt Jones took that and rolled with it. He didn't try to force it downfield. He hit the tight end, Miller Forrestal, six times. In that game, the slot receiver stayed. Slay Bolden had four or five catches in that game. He was willing to take the underneath the intermediate stuff. So, uh, immediate steady accuracy and intelligent decision making is, is what we're going to get from from Mac James week in and week out. Now, as you look at this matchup, Brett and. For Alabama specifically on offense, I mean, there hasn't been many times when they've been slowed up this season or struggled against a defense. When are the times that they have, and what did those defenses do to get to Mac Jones or just to slow them up, even if for only a series or quarter? Honestly, I'm really struggling to think of a time where they struggled for as much as a quarter. Um, That's how good they are. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not like. Trying to hype up the team, like I'm genuinely trying to think back and, and think of a time because I'm struggled for as much as a quarter. And the um, reason I ask that is because I'm very interested to see what Todd Grantham is going to try to do to attack that offense. And they said this week that they feel like they got a scheme to throw at them. And I'm just curious as to what it might be because there doesn't seem that there's been anything that has worked this season. The only Todd Grantham is probably going to be blitzes, right? Yeah, <laughs> a lot no of surprise them. coming. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, I mean, like, look, I, I covered Todd Grantham in his last year at Mississippi State. I, I, I covered Dan and Todd and a lot of the, the Florida staff at Mississippi State in their in their final year. So I'm not like hating on the emotional blitzing type thing. I like Todd. He, the, the, he, and, he and his wife are, are good people. And, and Corbin, the, the son who's playing baseball at Mississippi State now, I like the Granthams. They're, they're good people. Um, I, I just know Todd, right? Like that's that's what he does. He's 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 an aggressive blitzer, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to say skeptical, but I'm curious how that matches up with Alabama because this might be the best offensive line in the country. They were one of the 11 semifinalists for the Joe Moore Award. Alex Leatherwood is someone who will probably get first or second round consideration in, in the draft this year, and the other tackle, Ivan Neal, is an absolute freak of nature. He's probably going to be a first or second round guy when, when his turn comes up, being in the 2022 or 2023 draft. Landon Dickerson has been as steady a center that you're going to find in, in the country. But I think this is one of the best offensive lines in the country. And then, as I mentioned earlier, Matt Jones is 
an intelligent decision maker. So he will take the dump off when he has to, and, and Bama's got a good option at, at the dump off. Najee Harris is a proven receiver as a running back. He set the school record for single-season receiving touchdowns by a running back last season. So uh, there, there are just a lot of things about this Alabama team that uh, tell me that they can kind of absorb a Todd Grantham blitz or two or ten if, if, if they have to, and that's why I'm, I'm kind of curious how they choose to go about this because if if it's if it's a somewhat typical Todd Grantham scheme and you're bringing blitzes and pressures in, in different ways, I, 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 I just don't know that I would predict that they will either – straight up beat or confuse Alabama's offense because there's just no nothing in their performance to date that would suggest that. But Todd's really good at this, so maybe he surprises me. And that's without even mentioning the possibility that Devontae Smith and that passing group could get some help on Saturday. Videos emerged that maybe indicate Jalen Waddell could be close to returning to the field. What are you hearing on that, and could the Crimson Tide be getting another weapon to use against this Florida defense on Saturday? Not against Florida. Um, not, <laughs> that kind of thing is, can get blown out of proportion a little bit. Um, just because he's walking around barefoot in the locker room, there's a pretty that's big social media. Between, yeah, right. But there's a pretty big gulf between walking around barefoot in the locker room and playing high level SBS football. Like I'm walking around barefoot on my back porch right now, but nobody's going to call me up to play against Clemson in the national title game, right? Like, <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. Big, okay, like maybe, maybe. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but there's a, pretty big, there's a pretty big gulf there, right? So you will not see Jalen Waddle against Florida. I'm 99.9% sure. That I'm, I'm somewhat skeptical that Bama will see him at all, even if they make it to the national championship game on January 11th or, or whatever. But Waddle's body has reacted very, very well to, to all of the rehabilitation he's taken on since his injury. So I'm not going to uh, set it in stone that he won't play in the college football playoff, but I'm, I'm very, very confident you won't see him against Florida. Now, I put this out there as a theory, Brett. I, I want to see what you think about it. I don't necessarily know if it'll happen, but I could see this potentially playing out this way in terms of the Heisman race. I don't think that Florida or Alabama, excuse me, can lose that game and, you know, Mac Jones, should I say, you know, not win the Heisman. I mean, I think if we're looking at this Heisman race, you got three guys potentially uh, on that Alabama team that could be in the conversation. And Kyle Pitts was at one point for Florida, but I think Florida could lose that game to Alabama and Kyle Trask still win the Heisman, I don't think that Alabama could lose and Mac still win it. And the reason why I say that is because I think Alabama could have a game where, you know, they have uh, Harris have a big performance or Devontae have a big performance. For Florida, the only way that they're going to compete is if Trask goes off for another 400-yard game and another four or five touchdown performance. I don't know if he can have that against Bama, but... You know, he might have to do that, whereas, Bam, or whereas Mac might be able to just have a 250-yard day, and that might suffice because of all the weapons he has. I think you're right that, that Bama can't produce a Heisman Trophy winner while losing this game. But I, I also think that Kyle Trask could win the Heisman while losing this game, A, because he could put up 450 yards and four touchdowns in a loss and, and look really good that way. But also... 
I, I think there's going to be a certain amount of vote splitting between Matt Gaines and Devontae Smith. Yep. I don't know that Najee Harris is a, is a huge candidate. Like maybe a couple people put him in third. Um, but I, I don't think he's going to be that big of a, a, a candidate. I think because people who, put it this way, people who actually watch the football and like pay close attention and cover the sport really closely, they're going to vote for Devontae Smith because he's the best player in college football. The other several hundred Heisman voters that don't do as much of that, they're going to vote for Miles Jones because he's the quarterback on who they think is the best football team. Sure. Am I, am I making sense? Absolutely. And, and the same goes yeah. for Kyle. I mean, if the, the Gators find a way to pull off the upset Saturday, he's probably going to have a good chance to win due to that. Absolutely. You know, if, if Florida wins and, and, it's, and the offense looks the way it has for the entire season, Kyle Trask is going to win the Heisman Trophy. There's just no doubt about that. But if Alabama wins the game, there's still a chance that Kyle Trask looks awesome and possibly wins it because there's some vote splitting between Matt Jones and, and Devontae Smith. I don't, I don't know that it matters a ton. I, I, I don't want to like, put it all the way out of the realm of possibility. I don't know that there's much that Kyle Trask can do on Saturday to convince me that he's as good as Devontae Smith. <laughs> but maybe that's just because I, I've seen Devontae Smith in person 10 times or, or however many times I've seen that he's capable of doing, and he's just incredible. But, again, I don't want to put that out of the realm of possibility. Kyle Trask could, could uh, change my mind when I see him in person on, on Saturday. But, no, I, I think you're absolutely right that, Alabama can't lose this game and produce a Heisman winner, but they can win it and still not produce a Heisman winner because of vote splitting between Mack and Devontae and, and Kyle Schrock having the heroic performance in a losing effort. It could still be enough to get him to Harvard. Yeah, and thankfully we still have that storyline to follow because if we go – if. If this game goes the way most expect, then maybe all we'll have to talk about afterward is the Heisman race. <laughs> so, um, but look, man, we appreciate the time and perspective. Uh, really good stuff on this Alabama football team, and we'll see what type of show we get Saturday. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. Appreciate Brett Hudson from the Tuscaloosa News giving us his time and giving us a good laugh there. I know Graham, you said he was selling himself short on his athletic ability, but uh, we'll see what if there's any surprises maybe from Jalen Waller. We're not going to see him on Saturday, according to Brett, but they're going to see a lot of talented uh, players on that take the field. And we saw a lot of talented players officially join Florida's class on Wednesday, Graham, for the early signing period, and it was a pretty impressive day, all things considered. I know we mentioned at the top of the break, uh, my biggest takeaway was you know fending off Alabama and Auburn, but I think really, too, addressing some of their big needs, and they still got to get the offensive line, probably uh, one more guy at least, and we'll talk to Corey Bender from GatorsTerritory.com about that position still, but you know, you're know you losing senior wide receivers, you, you, you bring in some studs there. You're losing guys in the secondary, you bring in some studs there. We know that they're losing guys along that defensive line and that linebacker, you know, senior leader Ventrell Miller, and you get some, some really talented players at those spots, so those are kind of the areas and needs that you want to hit every time that you get into a recruiting cycle and you're looking at your class needs. Absolutely. You look at the offensive line, I'm right there with you. I think that Florida can do a little bit more, especially here in the upcoming January window. We know that there's some few targets left there on their board. I really am impressed getting Yusuf Muharbel into the fold in the last month, committed on November 6th. Kind of an underrated signee, in my opinion, a four-star guy. You talk to anyone around the area, I mean, that guy is, we know what Florida needs. They need run blocking, and that is absolutely 
probably one of the best run blocking prospects that Florida could have got right now. So it definitely can improve, absolutely. But I think that Florida and Dan Mullen, they've done this and said this all along. They want to address their areas of need, and, and it's hard to say that they didn't this week. Yeah, and then you know the one thing with the offensive line is even though they only signed two guys, they have others committed now. They've been recruiting that spot. They just didn't have some of the others that have been committed signed early. So we'll see what their situation is as it plays out. Maybe some of those guys officially join the class uh, the first Wednesday in February. But right now, as it stands, I mean, that's really kind of the only need left. And Mullen said as much uh, on Wednesday. But I, th- I thought he was pretty... Happy? What did you think his mood was? I thought he was pretty, I mean, joyful. It wasn't really, you didn't really get the Dan Mullen coming out there and being like, well, I think, you know, we our board's different. We got guys ranked a little bit higher. You didn't really get that as well. I, I really liked, we talked about this last episode, I really liked the Dewan Black story finally coming to fruition. And Dan went out there and said that. It's so rare what he did, the work that he put in to complete the process. You have to absolutely commend it. I, I think that if you're, if you're Coach Mullen, you just have to be happy with everyone actually being in the fold. And this was a peculiar time where so many guys yeah. did want to sign early, especially with the uncertainty that is going to come as the COVID-19 pandemic unfortunately continues. And we don't know what that signing window is going to look like, if there's going to be more opportunities for visits. And you really maximized on your chance to get everyone signed early who wanted to sign early. Yeah, and that's, I think, the one takeaway that, that you look for is, you know, at, at this class, I mean, every year, once we get close to signing, you know that other schools are going to be hitting up guys and trying to do last minute flips. And I, I asked Mullen about, you know, the report uh, that we got this week that Nick Saban reached out to Jason Marshall, Florida's top rated commit, trying to see if he maybe was still interested in a last, in a last second switch to Alabama. And Mullen, I thought, really cleverly replied, well, I hit up some of his guys, too. And they probably got all excited when they saw Dan Mullen calling them. So (laughs) I thought that was a pretty good uh, response. But we're going to get some more perspective on what the Gators really accomplished Wednesday right now from Corey Bender from GatorsTerritory.com. The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrated. We're now joined by Corey Bender from GatorsTerritory.com to discuss Florida's 2021 early signees. It was uh, not an, an eventful day Wednesday, but I think Dan Mullen and the staff, that's kind of like the, the way that they like it, and that's the way that it's been the last few years now. But once again, another top 10 class, number seven right now at this time, uh, according to Rivals.com. Corey, welcome into the Gator Sports Podcast. How's it going, my friend? Yeah, everything's going good, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's good to talk to you. Absolutely, man. So, obviously, just to start, wanted to get your reaction to the signings uh, yesterday. And, and maybe I think the biggest takeaway that I had is that they were able to keep guys committed at, at the last week or so some other schools were trying to come after. Yeah, I think sometimes with this kind of stuff, no drama is obviously a good thing. And I know towards the end, you had Tyreek Sapp, who was close to not signing. You had Jeremiah Williams, who took a step back and said, hey, I'm going to wait things out. And obviously all eyes turned to Auburn, right, when he said that. But then he decided to come back and said, hey, you know, Florida's where my home, where my heart is. That's where I'm going to sign. And sometimes, like you said, you kind of want those new signs in the class. Um, you always want to make a splash of national signing. But I think when most fans have been following Florida's class all along, it kind of played out, you know, how we all expected. Um, there were some guys on the board that Florida was going to play for, Tunisia, Delhi. Uh, we all kind of figured he'd go to Texas A&M. Same with Xavier and Story to Georgia. So, I think when you take a step back and you evaluate this class as far as 
if, if there was drama or not. I think it all played out to how everyone thought it would. And um, the biggest like, thing you said, they kept some of the guys in the fold that kind of, I'm not going to say had a foot out the door, but as far as their signing day plans, they kind of had some drama earlier in the week. Um, but they were able to get those signatures and finalize um, you know, their letters of intent and now they're officially Gators. You mentioned not too many surprises. One that initially kind of stood out to us was Florida's decision to take two signal callers in this class and Carlos Del Rio Wilson and Jalen Kitna. What do you make of their games? Obviously, we know Del Rio Wilson, able to play his senior season after transferring once again, didn't get to be teammates with Florida signing Dejon Reynolds. But an Elite 11 finalist, what do you make of what Florida's getting there at quarterback? Yeah, I think with Del Rio, um, I saw him camp two years ago. Um, Florida saw him right away when he was going through his junior year, and Florida fell in love with him. They offered him on the spot. And those relationships really grew over time. And I think with Del Rio, you have a guy, um, he's considered a pro-style quarterback, but definitely when he has to get out of the pocket and move, um, he definitely shows that ability as far as athleticism. Um, very accurate on the run. Um, does a good job of staying poised in the pocket, good pocket awareness overall. Um, and he's also grown about an inch and a half to, you know, about ran under two inches over the past year and a half. I think when I first saw him, he was around six foot and a half, six one. Now he's closer to six three. Um, good leadership ability. Um, he fits that ball in the tight windows. And as far as with Jalen Kidna, I'm actually I'm probably his biggest fan. Go ahead and hi- hype him up, Corey. Yeah. Hype him up. Yeah, no. I think Kitna truly, I think he deserves to be a four-star eventually when it's all said and done. I know as a junior, his touchdown to interception ratio, I think that's what kind of kind of had people kind of hit the pause button as far as where he should be ranked. But this is a kid that's always, he's transferred to three or four different schools. You know, his dad obviously is a notable name. He's took head coaching jobs. He's with the Cowboys too. So he's transferred different high schools over the course of his, over the course of the last three to four years. But he throws a beautiful deep ball. Um, he's grown a lot too physically. Um, the pocket awareness, he's a lot of intangibles, and you kind of watch him, and you can tell that he's the son of a former NFL quarterback. There's just a lot of stuff that really sticks out to you. Um, but I think that his ball placement, the way he leads receivers, um, and then of course, like I said before, his deep ball, I mean, like you said, he really impresses me in that department. I think when it's all said and done, maybe two and a half years from now, three years from now, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being a starter in Gainesville. That's, like I said, I think he's a really good quarterback and probably the most overlooked in the class. Um, nope. When it comes to the whole entire 21 signing. So, if Florida has good, and the thing is with Mullen, too, they're both different types of quarterbacks, which is impressive. It shows that Mullen, he, he, he's known for liking the guys that have that dual threat capabilities, but you can see, obviously, with Trask and Franks, he can really adjust his offense around the uh, skill set that he has in the quarterback room. And it just show, goes to show like what type of quarterback coach he really is. So, you're getting two types of different quarterbacks, uh, but I think you have to be very pleased if you're a Florida fan. Both are very solid and Either one of them can end up being a starter in Gainesville. That's why I think of both of them. Yeah, and then obviously Florida is losing Kyle Trasso to lose your starter and then to add two quarterbacks to that position, especially after you had another quarterback signing transfer out, that's going to bolster the depth there. Some other spots that we know, Corey, that they're going to lose some guys is obviously at wide receiver with the three seniors and then expectedly at tight end with Kyle Pitts moving on to the NFL. So they brought in some guys at wide receiver and at tight end, uh, and they also have some receivers still committed. But of the guys that signed, you know, can you talk about those receivers and tight ends, and especially Burke, we saw him lead his team to a state championship on, on, on Wednesday night. Yeah, I think with Burke, um, last year I saw him, that's when he really blew up. He had a game against Venice where he, I think he racked up over 200 yards receiving, and a lot of those catches were all deep passes. He's a big kid that can really stretch the field, but I think this year he's really transformed into more of a complete receiver as far as those underneath intermediate routes. 
really sticking his foot in the grass and getting separation. I think it was about two or three weeks ago, he had nine catches in the game. So it shows that he's not just this deep ball threat who can really, you know, high point the ball and take advantage of that, uh, that height mismatch he has over most DBs. But he's also fluid once actually getting the ball and tucking it away. Um, very capable, very, very capable after the catch. Um, and I think he, he has a very nice potential at receiver. Good kid as well. Always just wants to learn. Um, it's just, he's been about Florida since day one since he's committed. There's been no drama there. Um, and obviously the other receiver you have to think of, I mean, Dejon Reynolds, he didn't really play much as a senior. Another kid who really isn't in the media as much. Um, ever since he committed, he kind of took a step back in that department. But as a junior, um, had over 1,000 yards, man. He's a bigger kid, 6'2", 210 pounds now. Um, but like, he operates a, like about a receiver that's 185, 190. Um, his old school, they put him on jet sweeps. Um, obviously, he's a kid that can really stretch the field as well. So those are two bigger bodies at receiver um, that can obviously take advantage of DBs with their size, but they're very capable after the catch, too. And I think Reynolds is the one that, since he didn't play much his senior year, and obviously you know how it is, Zach, with a lot of these kids. Some of the kids aren't in the media as much or on Twitter. I'm not saying people forget about them, but you just don't really look up. You, you kind of, your eyes go to the ones you always see on social media a lot. Um, and I think he's one that can really surprise people um, once he gets back 100% healthy. Um, and as far as the tight ends, I'm a really big fan of Nick Elkinus out of Jacksonville. Um, I truly think we have Gage Wilcox higher in the rankings, but I'm actually a bigger fan of Elkinus. Um, I think with him, he's 6'6". He's very fluid, uh, more of a pass-catching tight end. He's definitely, he has a frame, though. He's going to add good weight, especially under Nick Savage's program. Um, I think he's another one that could surprise people and outplay his ranking um, just based off his pass-catching ability. Um, he's very reliable after the catch as well, just he can really break away from safeties. And then especially with linebackers, he's typically more athletic than most of those kids. And, um, yeah, Wilcox, he's a Rivals 250 guy out here in Tampa, another good tight end. He's about 6'4", 225, um, another kid who has room to grow. Um, I, I like his ability in the red zone. Um, he's more of a complete tight end. But this year his stats weren't as gaudy. Um, they didn't really throw the ball as much as Jefferson. They really spread the ball out too. Um, but whenever he did get those one-on-one opportunities in the red zone, you could tell, okay, this is why he's ranked where he's at because you can just see that fluidity uh, for a bigger tight end. So I think the tight end hall is really impressive. I think Tim Brewster definitely, man, um, is very happy. Like you said, we have a generational talent, Kyle Pitts, so it's hard to replace him for anyone in high school. But I think you have two guys who are definitely capable of making an impact in Gainesville. Aside from doing a thorough job with recruiting, Corey, we know you do a great job covering the team as well at Gators Territory. So you know that the big problem, according to Florida fans, is in the secondary this season. What do you make of Florida signees back there, especially Corey Collier and and five-star Jason Marshall, who, as you reported, Florida had to fend off some competition there in the final hour when it came to signing those guys out of Miami Palmetto. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, I think when you look at Florida's DBs this year, there are a lot of noble names on the team, but I think everyone can agree. I think it's the discipline when it comes to wrapping up and tackling in space. Um, and just those, those head-scratching plays, you're like, man, they could have stopped him for three yards, but hey, it went for 10. And I think when you go see Corey Collier's film, he's an aggressive safety. Um, it really comes downhill in a hurry. He plays discipline, too, when engaging the defender wraps up really well, and um, he's a hard hitter that comes down and really has a nose for the football. And you see that on film, and you have to, you're like, oh, man, that's the type of kid we need right now. So someone who's going to get their nose dirty um, and, you know, like you said, wrap up and not you know, do an arm tackle, let him break through for extra yardage. And he kind of reminds me of Sean Davis, not like as far as ranking, as far as skill level, but as far as that style of play, a kid who's going to come down and really light you up if uh, – you're not looking where he's coming from. But I think, too, with Jason Marshall, um, he's another kid, truly. I thought 
I thought he should have been at, for a while like a lower five star range, maybe a very very high. Which he is now, he's a high four star now, but he has the, the ability I think to be like that number one cornerback in Gainesville at some point in his career. He's kind of he's good size, very good man to man cover corner, um, and he has that swagger too. You can put him out on the island by himself in one on one, and he's more capable of you know getting the interception and just locking down this guy. And then you mix in his top notch size for the position. Um, it showed why he was ranked so high. So I think. Corey Collier's rank, he's the five-star, but I think Jason Marshall, man, I think he might be one of the more um, college-ready corners in this class, and I think he can make an impact as soon as next year. I really do. Um, and then there's some other guys, too. You have Donovan McMillan of uh, Pennsylvania, um, another hard-hitting safety. He's about 6'2", 200 pounds now. I truly think that eventually he'll play linebacker for, uh, for Florida, um, or if not, he'll be a bigger safety, another one who can come downhill and really play discipline football when it comes to that physicality. And, um, yeah, I think Florida, um, you have a lot of different types of skill sets in the class. It's a fairly large DB class. Um, and based off where it is now, I think you kind of saw it this year with you kind of let some of these younger guys play. And initially coming into the year, um, you kind of just sit there, you're like, hey, are they going to be ready to play? Um, but they've been capable. There's a lot of kids that they've just thrown out there as freshmen and they've posted pretty, they, you know, manufactured pretty good performances. And I think it's going to be the case next year. Let them all play, let it, let them figure it out. And we'll see which, what, what players actually end up getting on the field because, as we know, sometimes a lot of these players outplay their rankings. So it will be interesting. There's going to be a lot of depth in that DB room, and Florida definitely has a lot of choices to go off. And then aside from the secondary, Corey, sticking to the defense, what do you think about the job that Florida did in the front seven, uh, bringing in some guys at linebacker and along their defensive line? I know you already mentioned the fact that they kept Sapp committed and able to sign early they kept Auburn uh, away from Williams but they got some some guys down there in the trenches at defensive tackle and also some more guys at linebacker as well yeah I think Desmond Watson man um I think he's gonna be he fits Florida's defense like a glove as far as putting him over the nose kind of like what TJ Slayton does now um right now I mean he's like almost 400 pounds now he's a big kid right but I think it's kind of be the same thing with uh, Ethan White when he got to campus. When you get in the college strength and conditioning program, a lot of that weight kind of comes off pretty fairly quickly when you're that size, especially when you have the good nutrition plan. So I think with him, he's freakishly athletic just for his size now. He's a kid can get underneath offensive line with leverage. I mean, I saw him at three camps before the pandemic. He didn't lose a single rep in one-on-ones. It's not just because he's so big. It's He shows a good rip move, a spin move. He does stuff that kind of wows you. And the source told me early in the year when they were still recruiting Leonard Taylor and some other guys, you know, a five-star ended up signing with Miami. They said, don't be surprised when it's all said and done that Watson is the best defensive lineman in this class. And after watching him and seeing the scheme he'll be in at Florida, I definitely agree. Um, he's one I'm really excited about. Um, I know for, as far as going back to linebacker, too, I think Jeremiah Williams, um, he's a legit 6'4". I think with him, he can play buck, um, you know, come off the edge. He's a natural pass rusher to really get his shoulder and get in the backfield. But also in coverage, he's a guy who can change direction really well. Um, really fluid, man, for a kid that size. It shows why he's ranked so highly. He has a high ceiling at the position. And holding on to him, and, um, and basically you look at these linebacker numbers, it's not a big class, right? And I think obviously with some of these kids like Chief Borders, I think he'll place his hand the dirt as far as him playing strong side DN eventually. So if you put him at DN, it's a fairly small linebacker class, but I think with Williams and Dewan Black, um, that's a pretty solid duo to bring in. I think Dewan will play right away. Um, it'll depend where they want to put him at. I think he has that versatility to play star outside linebacker. I even heard inside this week too, and I think he's a guy who's hungry, right? He's been through a lot when the whole, you know, qualifying and then going to JUCO. So I think he's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder, and I think he'll be an instant impact type guy. Well, then um, you heard him, Corey, on his wow. – on his. you heard him on his uh... – 
on his video that Florida put out, he called himself a free safety. Oh, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. And that's the other thing, too. He could easily play safety. So it's like he's kind of that – he has that freakish combination of size and athleticism where you just let him play. Um, I'm not not comparing to Bernie at all, right, as far as skills and not at all, but how Bernie played a lot of positions, it's kind of that same thing with Dewan Black where you can really put him anywhere, and I think he'll be successful. No doubt. And then final thing for you, Corey, as you know, Gator fans are going to continue to go to your site and wait for recruiting updates as we inch to National Signing Day. What are the positions and maybe some guys to watch out for as Florida tries to wrap up their 2021 class? Yeah, I think the main two names that definitely come to mind right away are Tristan Lee, the offensive tackle out of Virginia, five-star kid that just visited this past weekend. And from what we know, he was supposed to sign this week, and then he was going to announce in early January. But from what Mike Farrell was told at Rivals, he's not signing at all this week. He's going to wait this out, which if I'm a Florida fan, I think that signals that his mind's not completely made up. You know, Oklahoma's been trending there for months, but his mom loved it. They brought down, um, the whole family loved it. They brought down five or six people for the trip, and that's not a cheap trip. Um, to come down during the pandemic, and he sees an opportunity to play early for Florida. Um, he loves Coach Hevesy and how straightforward he's been. He mentioned how right now in the NFL, Coach Hevesy, the, co- the kids he's coached, I think it's a combined $285 million worth of salary, and he said to me, he said to Connor, he goes, the proof is in the pudding, and numbers don't lie, and then they mentioned the weather. I know the mom loved it, and I, from what I know, I think it's his girlfriend's mom lives in Orlando. So there's a bunch of weird little connections there where it kind of, if you're a Florida fan, it makes you think, wow, Florida really has a chance. And I think they're, they're the number two school behind Oklahoma. I think it's fairly close. And then obviously, Terry and Arnold, um, you know, safety out of Tallahassee, he's going to take more visits. He was, he was on campus last week in two for the LSU game. Had a great time. He's going to take more visits and sign in February. But if I was, you know, if he, if he would have decided now, Florida definitely would have been my pick. But as we all know, it's kind of tough. He's going to go to Georgia again, Alabama. And, you know, anything could change, you know, as far as a kid. But I think Florida has to feel good about Arnold. They're very much in the running for uh, Tristan Lee. And maybe one other kid who doesn't have an offer now that could end up being an offer and be in the class, like you said, it just depends if he gets an offer, is Austin Barber out of Jacksonville Trinity Christian. He's teammates with Marcus Burke. Um, a six-seven offensive lineman, um, a kid that, from what I from what I've heard in the back channels, definitely has a lot of interest in Florida. With Jacksonville not being that far from Gainesville, so if there's a last-minute offer, he'd be one I could definitely see getting it. So he's one just kind of keep an eye on. But as we all know, Tristan Lee and Terry and Arnold, those are the two primary guys to definitely keep you know keep your eye on leading up the sign day. Well, you're the primary guy that we wanted to talk to, Corey, after the early signing period. We knew you could give us the scoop, and uh, I think everybody that was following Gators territory knew that you didn't have to worry about Tyreek Sapp if you saw Corey's report. So great job, man. Uh, We really appreciate the time, and uh, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow us on Twitter, just Gators territory, just straight through how it sounds. And then obviously my Twitter handle is Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, then underscore Bender, B-E-N-D-E-R. Um, if you're not a member too, right now we're running a promo. You get free access to January 29th. Uh, so over 30 days of that, just if you go to our website and type in the promo code Gators NSD for obviously National Sign Day. Um, and obviously a lot of people have jumped on it already. And I think a lot of if, if you're out there listening, you haven't done it. I think you'll definitely be pleased. So definitely, so definitely check that out. Yeah, if you're a recruit, Nick, that's a place to go for all your info. So, Corey, we really appreciate all the time again, man, and I look forward to talking to you in the future. No, absolutely. <laughs>
Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. Appreciate Corey's time there. He really kind of gave us a rundown, Graham, of where this recruiting class is at and some names to watch now moving forward. But everybody's going to be watching for Saturday now, Graham. The game that Florida had on their calendar circle that they were trying to get to all year long. This has been the goal since Dan Mullen arrived at UF, and it's here now. I mean, regardless of everything that's happened this year, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, and certainly last week, this is the opportunity that you've been working for this whole time. Yeah, absolutely. And because Corey does such a great job following recruiting, he knows that there's still a gap to close if you're Dan Mullen when it comes to catching up to Nick Saban in Alabama and even Georgia, in a sense, when it comes to closing that blue chip ratio that Florida makes such a big deal about every single year. But I think from a developmental standpoint, I think you have to absolutely give Dan Mullen a whole lot of credit for what he's done at Florida so far. But uh, you got to admit that there's a little bit of a talent gap to close and I think that's unfortunately going to be a little bit evident on Saturday. Yeah, we'll see how this game plays out. I mean, my expectations is that Florida is going to be able to compete with Bama. I, I don't, I'll be surprised if they come out there and, and Bama just dominates them right from the starter. And even if they jump up on an early lead, that the Gators at least don't battle back and give them a fight. Because I do think that this is going to be the most talented team that Alabama has played all year. Even if it won't be the best defense that they've played all year, Team-wise, this is going to be the best and most explosive team that can give them a game up until this point. So how they respond to that, how they deal with potentially being in another shootout like they were against Ole Miss, and if Ole Miss can give them that type of game, then I definitely think Florida can. I just don't know if their defense can hold up the way that Alabama's might be able to, or at the very least, get as many stops on Florida's defense as Florida's defense can get on Alabama. And for that reason, you know, I am expecting kind of a – a two-touchdown type of game, like a 45-31 finish. Uh, But I do think that it'll be competitive, at least up up through the second half. I do, too. Uh, I think that it'll be a pretty close game early. I'm I'm giving Florida 27, but... I think we're making it a little bit too simple when we make it about quarterback versus quarterback because Alabama is going to be able to establish the run. That's Najee the difference Harris, with their two offenses. That's the though. difference with it. You know, Florida, Kyle Trask has 40 touchdowns and he's been able to get some rushing touchdowns as well. Well, Mac Jones hasn't needed to do that because Najee Harris is maybe one of the best running backs. And I feel like we say this every single year, maybe one of the best running backs that has come through the doors there in Tuscaloosa, which just sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth saying it, but the stats just don't lie, Zach. And I I think that's going to be the difference for them. I'm going 45-27. I think we're hitting the same number with what we think the Crimson Tide is going to do to that Florida defense, but I think it's going to end up being a game where you see the Crimson Tide establish the run and pull away late there in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so we'll see how it plays out. I definitely don't know how the, the loss on Saturday will impact Florida's psyche going into this game, if they'll be more jacked up, if they'll have a chip on their shoulder. If and we been... were so wrong about Saturday. I think I went 55-10 for that LSU game, <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking like, oh man, am I going to make another prediction this week after I basically just threw that one out the window? It wasn't even close. Well, hey, LSU proved us wrong. Maybe Florida will prove everybody wrong on Saturday. I don't expect it, but uh, that's why you got to go play the game, right? And we will join you guys late, late Saturday, probably early Sunday for a swamp cast, and then we'll be back in Gainesville and see where the Gators go from there. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Albaverde. No one.